Welcome to Your Story Matters, the show where we share inspiring stories from all around the world. After you've listened to this one, why don't you tell us yours? Share your story at yourstorymatters.net. But first, here's your host, speaker and writer, Angela Schaefers. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Noam Kostuki, and he is a coach, a consultant, a TED speaker, author of two different books, Compendium and You Are Your Brand. He's done a lot throughout the globe to help others to live out their purpose successfully and to help build their brand and business. And he's going to be sharing some of his story today and talk about his journey and his new book. Hi, Noam. Welcome to the show. Hi, Angela. I'm very happy to be with you today. Great to have you here and to have you on there to share with our listeners some of the things that you've learned along your journey so far. We have a lot of people who listen in to the Encouraging Entrepreneur series, and you're definitely a fit for that series, and I know you have some great tips to share. But before we talk about all the things that you're doing in your new book, can you share with our listeners some of your background and history? What sort of evolved throughout your life, even as far back as childhood, to create some of the passion desire that you have to do the things that you do? I guess that if I have to think about uh, a specific moment that, that really changed everything is when I joined my fifth school, so age uh, 15, um, I, I, I looked like what my dad used to call a hippie, so I had sort of long hair all the way um, to my chest, uh-huh. a fluffy beard going in all sorts of directions. <laughs> I had some bracelets, countless number of bracelets of every single color possible on both hands, necklaces um, that I I can't remember how many, but way more than you could count on your two hands. Wow. And um, I was joining my fifth school in Brussels. Uh Uh-huh. So you can imagine I was a little bit of trouble as a kid. Not not, not the easiest child to have because I always ask a lot of questions as to why things were the way they were, and that annoyed a lot of teachers, uh-huh. and um, and uh, I, I always questioned a lot of authority and, and the way systems work generally, uh-huh. and the problem is that I I never got satisfied until I got an answer, and the problem is that most teachers didn't think that it was their job to give me answers to my questions, but because they thought their job was to for me to answer their questions. Right, right. Um, <laughs> which is sense. how exams work. Yes. Right? So, yes. And I thought that, you know, as teachers, their job really was to answer my questions because I had a lot of questions about the world, about how people function, about how systems function and all that. Mm-hmm. And um, basically when I arrived in my uh, in that fifth school, it was an international school, and um, I discovered that, um, well, everyone spoke English. I didn't speak a word of English at the time. Mm-hmm. And that made it very difficult to integrate and make friends. Mm-hmm. So I met a guy called Kim who turned out to be uh, one of my friends by default because he was one of the few people in the school who spoke French. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically he tried to drag me into a thing that uh, was called Safe Place, uh, which was a sort of student society that he was part of. It was a student society to increase tolerance in the school and and reduce bullying and and, and all of of those sorts of things. And... As a 15-year-old, I couldn't care less, really. Um, right. And, and I think this is, kind of, this is the important thing, that I really couldn't care less. 
I thought that this was basically a bunch of losers mm-hmm. uh, who didn't have friends and uh, who worried about other people's problems because they couldn't solve their own. Mm-hmm. And so instead of joining his safe place society, I joined the drama club, mm-hmm. which I thought was a lot cooler because I got a lot of attention because people were looking at me. Right, right. 15-year-old <laughs> perspective, of course. <laughs> you know, which, which was a 15-year-old perspective, you know, uh, trying to fit in the school, that seemed to be a much better way of fitting in the school. And then one day uh, after uh, one of these drama rehearsals, I sort of walked in the corridor, um, nobody left in the school, and I sort of see him at the end of the corridor, you know, doing his thing. And I did that sort of, you know, that sort of, Walk where you just turn your head and you hope the person doesn't see you. Yes. Um, and uh, well, he did see me, so I had to go over, say hi, chatted with him, and then he asked me if I could help you put a few posters up the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent another, uh, I don't know, like forty-five minutes helping him put posters up the wall while chatting, you know. And a week later, there was a school assembly, and the headmaster came in the school assembly. And we all knew that there is a headmaster comes in the school assembly. It means there's something important going on. Mm-hmm. And he had a little list of paper, uh, a list with like a few names. Mm-hmm. And so he went there and he read this list of names of which mine was one of them. Mm. Now, it was my fifth school. So <laughs> you can imagine that when I was hearing my name said by someone in a position of authority, I knew I was in trouble. Mm-mm. And that time, I had no idea what I'd done to be in trouble. Wow. Turned out, for once, I wasn't in trouble. And actually, they asked me to stand up as part of this team that I organized this social awareness week mm-hmm. for, you know, the contribution to the school environment and trying to, you know, raise awareness uh, to other kids as to what were the problems around the world, etc., etc. And we got, like, a standing ovation from all the other kids. And when I left the, the amphitheater... Teachers congratulated me. Wow. Um, and, and, and from that day on, you know, I thought, I, I have to tell you the truth. I thought, you know, these crazy Americans, what's wrong with them? I don't get it. Because <laughs> um, I was like, you know what, I didn't do anything. You know, I just put posters up the wall. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't even know what I was part of. But that day, from that day, teachers started asking me, you know, what I, how I thought the school should be run. They started asking me about my opinion about, yeah, about how the school, you know, should, should function. Right. The headmaster started talking to me. And for the first time, I felt that all these people in positions of authority looked at me not as a kid who was causing trouble, but as someone who actually could contribute and who had a valuable opinion. Right, right. That's a huge that, shift. Exactly. And that changed my life because that moment on, I started joining the Safe Place Society I started getting involved into the school, uh, you know, functions and, and, and the, way, uh, the, the way everything was run. Mm-hmm. And the only reason was, as a 15-year-old, was because I thought, obviously, it looks like helping others is a great way to help myself. Right, right. Because now people are listening to me. Yes. And I guess that grew into this idea of... Um, uh, the, the idea that was the, the, the base for my first TED talk was why selfishness is the best reason to cooperate. Mm-hmm. And that evolved a, a little bit later when I started thinking about a business model for my company mm-hmm. that actually 
doing good was the best way to make money. Yes. And and so I guess that that day, you know, really, if, uh, if I had to think about one one major shift, it was that because from that moment on, I I discovered that helping others was the best way to help yourself, and and I've lived by that 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 belief since. Right. Even though people thought I was completely mad. <laughs> and, and the number of times, you know, when I dropped out of university and I said, you know, I'll give all these free trainings to people, etc. Some BCG and McKinsey consultant told me, you know, this is a rubbish business model. And I'm very happy to, to say that, you know, whatever, eight years uh, on, mm-hmm. it's proved to be successful. Mm-hmm. So far, touch wood, I've never had to do any marketing, PR, sales. I've never really had to push my stuff mm-hmm. um, because people have come to me because of all the help I give others. Yes. And um, yeah, and I sort of see that in my, you know, in my business in the same way. The more the more people I help through my charity and my charitable work, the, the more business I get. Mm-hmm. It just seems to happen invariably, you know, like yes, and it, I th- it's a pattern that keeps repeating over and over again. Um, right. I think that's to me called the law of abundance because we actually bring abundance into our own lives when we're giving out and serving and helping others. And I love that time when you were so young was a catalyst for you to learn that because a lot of people don't learn that. Well, some never, and some don't learn it for a very, very long time and look back and think about all the time that they wasted not giving and serving and realizing, like you said, that you really do get back something for your own self in the long run anyway. And I think that's just an amazing story to share do you think that that is part of the problem in our school systems? And I know your school systems abroad are different than the ones here in the U.S., but is that part of the problem globally that we're not recognizing young adults, kids who are still in school, for some of their thoughts and ideas and giving them, if you will, some responsibility to do good? Oh, definitely. I think that, yeah, de- definitely. And that that's why... The moment I dropped out of university, that's the goal I set myself, was to change the education system. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's not about slacking the system as it is, because the system we have is incredible. I think that it's amazing that we have such an advanced education system, and, and we see where it's taken our society, um, technologically, economically, everywhere. It's allowed us to grow so much of the society Mm-hmm. But I think it's reached its limitations now. It's mm-hmm. reached a point where this system doesn't work because it is a sausage machine system that teaches you mechanical learning rather than, like you said, values of helping others mm-hmm. um, or being listened to or um, taking responsibility for for the problems around you. And yeah, and I, and I think that this is a this is terrible because it's teaching the wrong the wrong things. And I. I don't know, a lot of my friends say uh, that I'm an accidental social entrepreneur and that I, I really, I learned to do good by accident. Right. It's never planned. Right. And, sometimes and those I, I are the... I feel very lucky for that. Yes, sometimes those are the best stories. I mean, to be honest, because you fall into it and it becomes something that you realize is a passion and a desire and something that you're good at. Is mm-hmm. that what led into Sea Education? And can you talk to the listeners about what that organization is all about? Yes, that's definitely what led to Sea Education. So when I so when I dropped out of university, the reason I dropped out was because I had gone to university for, with a very very clear purpose, 
I went there because I wanted to learn, I wanted to be challenged, and I wanted to have fun. Mm-hmm. Fun, I had a lot of. <laughs> I was no, no problem at all. Learning and being challenged didn't seem to happen at university. It seemed to happen around the university. Mm-hmm. So with student societies like um, a thing called ISEC and other so groups outside of the university, I learned so much and I got challenged. But at university, I didn't. So after a year and a half, I ended up dropping out because I started helping others through this society called ISEC, and I started giving training all over the world. And um, when I dropped out, I sort of wrote a 20-page document that I gave the dean of uh, learning for uh, the engineering department. Mm-hmm. And, I, <laughs> and the response was mind-blowing because she explained, she told me, sorry, but we don't have time and money to waste on students. Mm. Wow. And that says a lot about the way the university system works in the UK. Mm. I know it's not exactly the same everywhere else, but from what I've seen, it seems that there's a pattern that repeats, which is that universities are not institutions to teach people how to get a job. Right. And how to make a living. Right. They never were. They, 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 that, that's not originally what universities were for. Right. Universities were more research places. Yes, that's so true. So they've got a strong role, and they've got a great purpose, but it's not for everybody. And the problem is that our school system prepares us to go to university. Right, that's the right. university doesn't prepare us to get a job. Yes, or to live <laughs> it prepares life. prepares us to become great academics. Yes, and it really doesn't prepare you in either case to actually go out and live in the world and be an adult. And as you said, that plays into taking responsibility, building community, you know, helping mm-hmm. your neighbors and whoever is around you. So very good point. Exactly. And so that's why, you know, after hearing that, I thought that's it. You know, I need to do something about it. I need to change the education system. Um, that sort of took me on a sort of four-year journey to establish myself in terms of credibility in, within the education world because the, the same BCG and McKinsey consultant who told me my business model was terrible did tell me, one thing that really helped me, which is that if I wanted to change the education system, I needed to gain credibility mm-hmm. that what I thought had to be taught was uh, correct mm-hmm. and that I had the right ideas. And this is why I decided to start working with companies in terms of training and coaching. Because mm-hmm. I thought if I can prove that company needs need the skills that I believe are useful and necessary, mm-hmm. then we can trickle down the, the ladder because essentially that's why people go to university to get a job. Right. If I can show them that the skill they need in a job is X and Y, then we can work backwards. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I set up two, two organizations at the same time. One being C-Education mm-hmm. to help people set up social enterprises and make money from doing good, all for free. And so there, you know, we, we give uh, training workshops, I'm for the moment coaching two social entrepreneurs and um, helping them through their journey of making a living from doing good around them. Mm-hmm. We're now working on creating uh, what we call uh, learning bubbles because one of the things I discovered is that when I dropped out of uni, everyone told, you know, one of the main questions, one of the main things that I sort of got told was, but don't, don't you miss learning? Mm-hmm. And I was so shocked and I said, what do you mean? 
say, well, you know, now you're not at university, you're not learning anymore. Mm-hmm. Wait, what, what world do you live in? Right. <laughs> what do you mean you left university, you're not learning anymore? I was like, I've learned so much more since I left university. That's the whole point. Right. Because I think there's so much material out there, especially nowadays with YouTube, MIT World, TED, um, RSA Talks. I mean, there's countless number of, of, of free material out there. And so what I'm now working on um, for syndication, the sort of the next uh, step now is to put together all the amazing material out there and compile it into into a sort of a little learning bubble so that you can, so that people can create their own learning mm-hmm. based on the stuff that are already out there. Because mm-hmm. I don't think there's any point in recreating the wheel. That's right. Um, I think it's all about reusing the, the resources that are already there. Right. Um, and so that, 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 that's what education sort of stands for. And, um, and the big dream is to, to, to do a, a one-year course that would look a little bit like the Peter Thiel initiative of paying people, but the twist that I'd like to do is not to just uh, pay them to start any kind of business, but pay them to set up a social enterprise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that's really now the, the next big step with education is raising enough funds that we can pay 12 people to spend one year to do only one thing, which is to set up a successful social enterprise. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we can prove that that works, it will really uh, disrupt the education system. Yes. So certainly it, it becomes uh, ludicrous to pay so much for education mm-hmm. when you realize that actually you could get paid right. to set up your own business, to create your own job. Yes. Teaching people to become sort of job givers rather than job seekers. Right. Which I think would, you know, would benefit everyone, really. Yes, I agree. And I think, as you already mentioned, going the route of university or college is something that can teach you a lot, but it doesn't prepare you. And so what you're talking about is actually preparing people to face real-life situations in the professional world and figure out Mm -hmm. a solid plan to implement whatever their purpose is and mission for their business. And at the same time, Mm -hmm. hopefully doing good while making money. Exactly. And I I, I hope that at the same time, exactly, we can show to them that, Doing good is the best way for them to make money in the long run. Yes, and that and that it gives it will give them both the the, the personal fulfillment of knowing that they're doing something worthwhile and meaningful, and the financial fulfillment of the financial reward for doing a good job. Yes, because yes. I see money as a reward for doing a good job rather than anything else. Mhm, mhm. That's right. Excellent. So talk to the audience then about how your books came about. One is You Are Your Brand, and your newest one is Compendium. Can you share with the listeners a little bit about both? Yes. So You Are Your Brand was the first one, and uh, that really came uh, as a sort of interesting little, you know, sort of online Facebook kind of story, which, which, which was really nice, which is that I gave this TED Talk, uh, my first one, and um, someone in America contacted me on Facebook saying, oh, you know, uh, I'd be interested to learn more about, you know, how you you grew your personal brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to talk to you about, you know, sort of articles and books and stuff, you know, that interview you, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, I sort of responded, not quite, not being quite sure what he was talking about, saying, I'm, you know, I don't know if I really have a personal brand, and I'm not quite sure that if I can tell you, you know, how, how it works, uh, mm-hmm. how it works. And um, 
after an hour conversation, I understood what he meant. Mm-hmm. And I just looked back and said, you know what, actually, I'd love to write this book with you because I'm not a good writer. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, uh, I'm a speaker. That's why I speak. I mean, that's, right. that's, that's why I speak and that's why I wasn't doing that good at university because I don't enjoy to sit and write. I, mm-hmm. I like to stand and talk. Right. So, so I told him, look, I'd love to write this book for you with you, but I, I don't really like writing. So if you want, we can keep bouncing ideas and I'll do a lot of the talking. You can help with the writing. And so one thing led to the other. And 18 months later, we had this book. Awesome. And that was an amazing experience to write a book. I have to say that for, um, especially for a university dropout and someone who's changed school five times mm-hmm. and who's been told countless number of times that my problem, that, you know, that my problem is that I can't finish stuff mm-hmm. was a fabulous achievement. Yes, um, I agree. That's so, awesome. So that, so that, that was absolute, an absolute delight to, to have done that. But as I wrote that book, I always knew that that was an interesting book, but it wasn't a game-changing book in the sense that it would change the lives of the individuals who read it mm-hmm. and have had great feedback from people who've read it and said, wow, you know, now um, I see how I can build my brand to grow my business, to right. grow my social enterprise. And I use it with all my clients. They absolutely love it as a workbook. Mm-hmm. There's got plenty of exercises in there. Um, Really, the book is kind of a conversation with me, a sort of coaching conversation that you have with me. So it's not like a dry read. It's got loads of exercise and and places for you to write Mm -hmm. and and put your thoughts on the paper. But what I really wanted was to do something that was a bit more game-changing and that would actually have a much larger um, impact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's how Compendium came about, which is um, the book I published uh, just, just, just under two months ago. Well, yeah, under two months ago. Mm-hmm. And that one basically came together because a lot of my clients, the coaching clients, the executive coaching clients, so larger companies and some charities, one of the challenges they have is that they're running massive organizations. Mm-hmm. And there's something that got them to the top of the organization. So they're, they're really good at something that got them to the top. And the problem they have is how can they take good decisions not knowing what's going on in the company? Because mm-hmm. realistically, when you've got 10,000 employees, you can't really understand what's going on everywhere. Right, that's true. So you've got to make a lot of guesses. You're making a lot of assumptions. Mm-hmm. And with my help, what they realized that when I was there with them, it was very easy for them to test these assumptions and to see whether their assumptions about their company were correct and whether there was any flaws in the way they, in the assumptions they made to take to, to base the decisions on. Mm-hmm. And so what I what I put together is this book that basically allows anyone to challenge their own assumptions about their company. Mm-hmm. The organization. Mm-hmm. I like and, that. Um, the, well, the scientific term for it is cognitive biases. Mm. So scientists have sort of put together a list of about 150 uh, cognitive biases, which are little glitches <laughs> of the brain, mm-hmm. of which you know you may have seen some of them on YouTube, like the one where you're asked to count how many uh, passes basketball players are making. Mm-hmm. 
And then at the end of the video, it asks you, did you see the big gorilla walk, walk by? Uh, you may have seen sort of uh, these things. There's another one that I would highly recommend for people to watch, which is called the Color Changing Car Trick. If you, you put on YouTube, Color Changing Car Trick, you'll see this little video. It shows you a, a trick with cards, and the whole background changes. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is that you don't see the change. Right. Exactly the same way as when you count the passes between the basketball player, you don't see the big gorilla walk just behind them. Mm -hmm. And that's because our brain can't process everything, simply. And, uh, and so this book gives so business people the opportunity to bypass all these little glitches of the brain mm -hmm. by looking at the world through different lenses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And I'm sure part of that whole process is just realizing that we have those covers on our lenses, if you will, and we don't see everything as clearly as we think, even when we're highly educated, well aware, whatever. So that's that's awesome. I love the premise of it. Oh, thank you very much. And uh, and that is for me, the exciting part is that again, the book is not the book is not an end in itself because the right. book has links to a lot of videos, um, and the book has uh, links to a lot of the people who inspired each of the different lenses. Mm -hmm. Whether they're people like Paul Arden, uh, who was created director from Sachi and Sachi, or Dehal, the founder of Visa, you know, the, the Visa card, uh, Steve Jobs, or, you know, like, or, or more unusual ones like Ricardo Semler, who's, who's probably one of the most successful Brazilian businessmen. And each one of them has had one thing, one belief that made them successful. Mm. because they saw the world through that lens. You know, Paul Arden, one of my favorite ones is from Paul Arden, the creative director from Section Taxi, which is whatever you think, the opposite is true. Wow. And you can, you can go so far with that. Um, yes. Because any business decisions you're taking, and, I, and especially any of the listeners, any decisions you're taking that you think this is an important decision, ask that question. Or put that statement forward as to whatever you think, the opposite is true. So... Put that, put your, all your thinking through that lens and think about the opposite of everything you're thinking about and think about what would happen if you did the opposite of everything you're doing. And that will certainly open a whole realm of possibilities. It gets very, very exciting. Yes, I love it. I would love for you uh, to talk about some of the challenges you've faced along your journey so far and discouragement, if you will, uh, and how you dealt with those. As we know, nothing always goes easily and certainly doesn't go as planned. <laughs> but I know you've learned a lot on your journey, and I'd love for you to share with the listeners some of the things you've had to deal with and how you overcame them. The challenges, I, would, I don't even know where to start with the challenges. Well, maybe um, just a couple so of the big many. ones. <laughs> there, there's been so many, it's unbelievable. Uh, which is why I always tell people, you know, when, when people tell me, Oh, you're so lucky, you know, like you've got flexible work hours and uh, you're your own boss. I was like, oh, my God, you've got no idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, just, it's not that easy. Like, you're, you're always your worst boss. That's what I think. I guess, like, I guess the, first, the first one is other people. The first one was others. Mm -hmm. Friends. Because so many people told me that it was a bad idea. Mm -hmm. They made no sense. Right. And I haven't heard that once or twice. I've heard that consistently throughout my journey. And I still hear it now. I mean, I've published this new book, and I've had people tell me, you know, this is too expensive a book, or, you know, it, it's not going to work because of that, that, and that. 
who are you to write a book um, for senior people in businesses? You know, you're, you're too young. You haven't run yourself a blue, a blue chip company, mm-hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. And you, you always get other people telling you why what you're doing is wrong. Or at least that's what, I, that, that's what I've had. Right. Um, and I think that the challenge is to deal with it because mm. it's not about rejecting it completely because criticism is good. Right. And I've learned a lot by people telling me, you know what, this is actually rubbish. Um, and I've had to look at it and say, you know what, actually, I think he's right. Right, <laughs> right. I think he's right. Everything needs to change it. It makes no sense. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's being able to filter between these thoughts and the ones where you have to say, you know what, actually, this, the reason this person is telling me this, and that's what I've learned really in the last few years, is to listen to the criticism and realize that actually, nine out of ten, that, then com- that comes out of fear. And mm-hmm. they're actually scared for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're scared that it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And, that, and they're basically telling you, I'm really worried for you. And I'm worried because of this, this, and this. And the reason I'm worried about these stuff is because I don't know about it. Right. That makes sense. And, 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 and it's so being able to, and that, that's something that I'm still learning to do, is to take all these negative criticism, all these stuff, all these fears, all these worries, mm-hmm. filter the stuff that makes sense and that I need to incorporate and listen to, mm-hmm. and filter the others by saying thank you and reassuring them. Right. Um, that it's all right and that I know what I'm getting into because then I feel a lot more comfortable with, with my decision um, mm-hmm. and I can deal with my friends also because at the beginning I had to shut down. There mm-hmm. was a point where I just wouldn't listen to people telling me uh, negative things because it was just too depressing. Right, right. That makes a lot <laughs> so, of so sense. That, so, so that's definitely been the first of the biggest challenges. And then the second one, it, it, it's me. I guess that, that's been the second challenge. Once I, I managed other people, the hardest thing was to manage myself because mm-hmm. the problem is that you're dealing with yourself all the time. That's right. <laughs> Especially as, a, as an entrepreneur, social entrepreneur, I'm my own boss. So I just always look at what I do and think that I don't do enough. Mm-hmm. So there's the putting pressure on oneself, which... Mm-hmm which recently, really in the last year, I've learned to try to get a balanced life. Mm-hmm. And I would recommend this, doing this to any, any entrepreneurs that now I've, I've, I've developed a little method for myself. And by the way, if there's any, um, anyone out there who makes iPhone apps or phone apps that would like to help me develop my little tool into an app, please get in touch. I'd be very happy to, to chat because I think that it will help a lot of people. Basically, what I do at the end of every day, I sit down and on an Excel sheet, I write a, a list of everything I've done, mm-hmm. all my time. How did I spend my time every single day? And that helps me work a bit less because I was working ridiculous hours. And I think that this is a big problem that a lot of entrepreneurs go through. Yes. Um, is that they burn out. They bur- you, you burn out. You, you, at the right. beginning, you work 80 hours a week mm-hmm. because you're so passionate and excited and you've got the adrenaline, mm-hmm. but after a year, two years, three years, four years, five years, six years, mm-hmm. oh my God, I can tell you I felt it, you know, yes. like I was, by the age of 25, I felt like I was 40. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I had back pain, uh, my health had gone down, I, I hadn't done sports in so long, 
my social life had gone down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I became a lot more irritable. Uh, my interests had basically narrowed down to my work only. Right. So I became very uninteresting. Yeah, so getting this balance has helped a lot mm-hmm. because I think it's important to be able to sustain work. Yes. And, and so the, the second biggest challenge was dealing with myself and it's still dealing with myself. Right. Um, in, in, in the tough times and in the good times. Yes. And, uh, and in the good times, it's sometimes even harder because it's a time where you've got to remember that things will not always be great. Right. <laughs> and that you need to start sort of thinking about, you know, the downtimes and you need to prepare for the downtimes. And that's something I haven't learned yet. So I'm hoping that, <laughs> I'm hoping that when I catch, uh, I'm on my next, uh, I catch the next wave that I remember to plan properly for the downtime because it will eventually come. Yes, I like that. Excellent advice, great shares to others who are struggling with being an entrepreneur and balancing their life, but all good stuff that you shared. I really, really appreciate that you've shared some of your story today. I've even learned more about you myself, which was awesome. Can you share with the listeners how they can get in touch with you and where they would find a copy of your book? Yes, the best way to get in touch with me is through my About Me page. So about.me slash noamkos, written N-O-A-M-K-O-S. Otherwise, uh, you can reach me uh, via email, noam at redefiners.com. And my book you can find on Lulu. Um, which you'll find a link to my About Me page. So I would say that About Me is really the best page. You'll find my books there. You'll find the tech talks, uh, a few podcasts, links to redefine us, my company, if you want to to get any coaching, training, speaking. Um, I'm very happy to, to hear from you and to see whether we can work together. Or um, if you want to see the, the stuff we, we do with uh, education, in terms of social entrepreneurship, um, the link will also be there. Wonderful. Noam, thank you again for all the things that you've shared. I've learned a great deal from you along the way since we've been connected, and I know that you have a lot of great things to share with others. And I appreciate that you continue to put yourself out there for many people. And I definitely am sure that many of the listeners will get some great tips and insight out of today's interview. Thank you so much, Angela, for taking the time to, to to listen to me and ask me these questions and be with you on the show. I definitely hope that um, this will be useful for, for the listeners. And I, I absolutely love um, your idea of sharing stories that matter because my life has always been inspired by other people's stories. And for me, if, I, if, if there's a chance to pay forward by doing to others what I've had done to me, it's... It would be thrilling. So, mm-hmm. so thank you so much for having me here.